0: You're listening to Calvary La Habra's podcast. For more information, visit us at calvarylh.com. Thanks for listening. Those are some powerful words we're singing. I hope you are like... Man. Let's pray. Father, we wake up again in a world that uh, much of it does not have a biblical worldview. We wake up in a world where the prince of the power of the air who is designed, this fallen one Satan, to work in the hearts and the lives and the sons of disobedience, as it says in Ephesians 2, is really busy. We wake up into a world that is divided, a nation that is divided. Wake up into a world that is gripped by fear, fueled by anger. But we wake up to this very world as your blood-bought kids. Children of God, we are the bride of Christ. We're the church called out of that world and and, and into you, Jesus. Thank you for all of what that means. When David, in that psalm, says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And the conviction he had was the strength and the confidence of, of, of knowing you, God, and of trusting you with with his life. You protected him. You led him. You brought him into understanding what... right standing, what righteousness was between you and him. Every area of his life, even into eternity, he was absolutely convinced that you were in control. And this morning as we gather here in this room, some outside in a tent, many in homes. We ask that, Holy Spirit, you would be our teacher. Whatever needs to be dealt with in our life as Christians, you would expose it, you would deal with it, that it would be brought under the lens of your word. We'd be humbled before you, be broken before you, and available for change. That You would just bring change in our life where it's needed. For those who have yet to give their life to you, we pray that the gospel would be clear, their need for salvation, their need as a sinner for you and the salvation and the eternal life that you offer, that it would be clear and they'd give their life to you this morning. We pray for our nation. How could we not right now? We just pray as we're going into this election and... Lord, we who are defined by many different terms, on the right, conservatives, whatever, we're Christians. (laughs) And we would so desire to see religious freedoms that we have continue on, and quite possibly more religious freedoms that we've lost to laws that have been passed, regained. And Lord, as President Trump has even brought to our attention now, the attention of This nation, this God-fearing, biblical-fearing woman by the name of Amy Barrett, we pray for her, we pray for her marriage, we pray for her family, and we pray that if you want her on that bench of the Supreme Court, your will be done. We know that this will be a difficult time for her, a difficult time for our nation. But may, may people see... In the world that we wake up in where many are calling evil good and good evil. May they get that right. (laughs) May you get that right in hearts, Lord. And may we do our part to be praying and encouraging people and to bring you into the narrative that we find being spoken around our life in these days. Equip us all that much more this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Turn your Bibles with me over to the book of Hebrews. Our uh, team of young adults and a couple of not-so-young adults just returned from Alabama. They're here, many of them in church. Can we just welcome them home? Thanks for coming back. uh, They're back there doing a bunch of disaster relief work. And uh, if you want to see pictures and get... An update on any of that—it's all on social media, on our website, and go to CalvaryDisasterRelief.org, and it's all in there as well. And if you'd like to sign up and go with a a team in the near future and help out and share Jesus with people in a a place that's been hit by um, a hurricane or whatnot, you can go to uh, CalvaryDisaster, yeah, CalvaryDisasterRelief.org and sign up, and we'll get we'll get in touch with you. Wow, I love opening God's Word these days because I haven't found a passage that just doesn't fit. It's like, why did I not see that passage so relative to our day, to our time, as I do right now? So, um, Hebrews, going through Hebrews eleven. If you're, you know, new around here or new to our studies, you're online and you're tuning in. We. broke away a few months ago from our systematic teaching through the gospel, excuse me, through 1 John, and uh, doing that on Sunday mornings, and then the book of Ecclesiastes on Wednesday nights. We're going to get back to that forum um, when things get back to normal, and that might be in another several years. I don't know, but um, at the turn of the year, we're probably going to start back up in those books uh, in January. Until then, we want to hit some of the topics of our day. So, uh, we have been going through the the book of Hebrews, and the book of Hebrews is relative to the church today because it's written to a, a group of Christians. They were they were Hebrews, they were Jews that were converted from Judaism, and and they they put their faith in Jesus when they heard of who he was. Their lives were radically changed by him. They were converted. They were saved. He was living in them. They were following him. And as you read through the letter, you get the idea that their faith was under attack. Anybody bear witness with that, by the way? <laughs> their, their faith was, under, they were being opposed. If it wasn't bad enough that they just were the church living on the planet during, and and, and living in the Roman Empire during Roman persecution where Rome was actually physically persecuting the church. It would cost you, it could cost your life to be a Christian. If that wasn't bad enough, they had no family supporting them. Their family had completely written them off. And they were they were faltering in their faith. And they were they were they were tempted to go back to the easier way. This this whole Christian thing, you know, man, I don't know. It's just it's too difficult. And the enemy was having his way and rocking their faith. Through outside opposition, through family opposition, it was absolutely real. We don't want to downplay it. If you're a Christian here and you find that you're at a point in time in life where your faith is being rocked, we don't want to downplay that. There's a real enemy And he is not happy that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And he would love to just discourage you, ultimately derail you and derail your faith. I'm going to downplay that. The question is, what does God want us to know when we experience that? What does he want us to do when we experience that? And that's why I felt the Lord take us to Hebrews chapter 11. I thought it was a good chapter because... When this pandemic hit, it hit all of our lives to some extent. Every single one of us, whether it's in our our marriage, our own home, our neighborhood, our workplace, the different forms of school that we might go to, the church that we go to or churches that we all maybe were going to pre-March, it affected us all. And in a very unique way, it affected us in a very similar way. Christians, for the first time, began to fear something that they'd never really you know, feared before, unless they've lived in a part of the world that's went through a large-scale virus and that affecting that community. I don't think many of us are old enough to go back to the larger plagues that affected the globe. But what that did is it got it got people around the globe whether it was a person saved or not but it it rocked into the core of who they were it just did and for christians it rocked us to our core it 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 challenged our faith it opposed and challenged our faith i believe god allows these things we went through some bible studies and gave great evidence in the scripture that god would allow these kind of things to f- purify our faith and to strengthen our faith, and to develop a greater dependency on Him. But here we are a few months you know, into this, and there's still a lot of Christians struggling with faith and fear. And so in chapter 11, we started there, and in chapter 11, it really begins with, if I could just summarize again, a description of, of a faith that actually perseveres and presses through And continues following Jesus... irregardless of what comes its way. And it's a description that says this... Faith is a substance of things hoped for... the evidence of things not seen. What does that mean? Faith faith is this. It's living in absolute confidence... that what God said, he will do... even before you see the fulfillment of that, that promise. It's living in that conviction. And to help clarify... To help us understand what that looks like, he gave us, seven, the writer of Hebrews gives us 17 examples in the Old Testament of individuals who are a, 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 a trophy. They are evidence. They are, this is what persevering faith looks like. After those 17 examples, we go into chapter, chapter 12. And it starts off with the word therefore. And as my old friend, your not personal friend, but I used to li- like to listen to him. Jay Vernon McGee used to say, whenever you see a therefore in the scripture, my brethren, you find out what it's there for. And, and, and it's, it's a reference. <laughs> he was from Kentucky. I'm a California guy trying to sound like I'm from Kentucky and I'm not. But it's a reference to what he's just said. So in light of these 17 examples of persevering faith. Let us now. And the focus now turns like you're in this big arena. And he's like, I want you to picture this race. And I want you you to put yourself in that race as one of those athletes. And then in the stands are all of these people rooting you on. Lance, Lance, Samson would say. Lance, David would say. Gideon would say. Abraham would say. Moses would say. Lance. Rahab, a harlot, would say. Lance. Run. Don't quit. Keep following. Keep focused. Don't give up. I finished this same race. Just a few years before you, I've done it. Just keep going. And that's the voices. That's the idea. It's example after example. We look, we look around as we get into that arena and we're like, oh, they did it. So can we. Therefore, since we're surrounded by all of these like witnesses, now it's our turn. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us. We got into this last week. You can get the study Online, it's all free there. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We're the runner. We have the audience. As we run, we, we, we look to the audience. That's part of our focus. Then we look to ourselves. And as we look to ourselves, we, we look to anything in our life that would hinder us or impede us from running victorious. In the lane, in the path that Jesus has set before us. You see, it goes on to say we, we, we look to Jesus in verse 2, the author and the finisher of our faith. So he's the one that like paid our entry fee to be in the race. He paid our entry fee with his his precious blood. But is the author, and then he's going to talk more about what it means to be the finisher. The one that enlisted you in the race is the trainer he's going to show that runs alongside you in the race. We're going to be looking unto him. But in order to do this, we've got to look around and go, wow, others have done it. I can do it. I've got to look to myself and I've got to say, okay, what is a weight? Well, in those days, we talked about they had training weights. There was a time, there was a place, ankle weights. Chest weights for the runners. But although that might have been used for a proper time in a proper place when the race begins, there's some things that just need to go. And there are things. There are things that God does in my life and in your life right now. And they're, they're preparation for, for like what's ahead. For some of you, you might have even looked at certain parts of your life, not sinful things, just certain things. They weren't sinful, but you look at your life now and you're like, wow, so many years ago, God was preparing me through that or with that for now. But that relationship, that, that hobby, that sport, whatever it might have been, not sinful, but its I need to set that aside in order to run my race effectively now. And so there's these things that aren't sinful that need to be considered about ourselves. Let go of that. I use the illustration of the whole surf industry and the surf shop and all that. It was great for a while, and it trained me for what even I'm doing today. But I'm so thankful I let that go. But then there's other things in our life that we might look at that just don't line up with God's word. They're sinful. And those things will impede us from running the course that Jesus has set before us as well. And then we need, it says, to be running with endurance the race that is set before us. And, and we talked about that pictures a determination to persevere. I, I look at the examples before me, and I realized they did it, so, I, so can I. And I've got to have that determination to persevere through the opposition that the enemy is going to throw my way. Satan today looked at your life, my life, all of our lives as children of God. And he's like, okay, I've got a mission as well. I know Jesus has a mission. He has a plan for their life, but so do I. And my main mission is to derail them from his plan for their life. So i got to look to Jesus. And in the Greek, it it speaks of something I do deliberately. It's like I take my eyes off of everything else to, to really focus in on him. The author, the pioneer of our faith, and the finisher, the perfecter, that trainer that runs alongside us in the race. And as we're looking at him, we look at him and how he ran his race. Because of the joy that was set before him, he he endured the cross. In other words, as he looked at the opposition, he looked past the opposition. What, what, What is the father's plan and what does the father ultimately want to produce through my life? Well, for him, it was the salvation of the world. And he looked at that and that driving force and the joy of your conversion, the joy of my conversion, the joy of of all of our forgiveness and the continue, continuing washing and, and cleansing, all of that, and, and and the making us more like Him through sanctification. He saw all of that. He saw our glorification. He saw us in heaven one day. And the, and the joy of what the Father would produce through His persevering through the cross and enduring the cross allowed Him to look at the cross and just... Say, that's not, that's not such a big deal. In the church, the author would be saying is, you're looking unto him, and you've got, to, you've got to get there in your heart and in your mind as well. And this is where we really began to hone in. We ran out of time, but consider him who endured in verse 3 such hostility from sinners against himself. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Lest you become, and and the Greek there for discouraged is like, it's describing a runner that's almost completely exhausted or even collapsed. Lest you get so weary down that you're about to collapse or you do collapse. Don't just look to Jesus. Really think through, consider. The, the the Greek consider is a Greek word, analogize I'm I and, and, and it means this. You, you, you students that are like math students and you're into like logarithms, I'm not. I had a hard time with like division. But but the logarithms, this is where we get that word, and it means to, to ponder and to, to calculate over and over and over, to look at the equation, ponder it over and over and over, to calculate it over and over and over. Don't just glance at Jesus. No, really consider who he is and what he endured for you. Really think about the details. Go, you know, my mind, when, when I, we have communion, that's what this is all about, and oftentimes when we're getting ready for communion, I personally, as we're worshiping, I, I'll go all the way back, and I, I picture Judas even coming to him. I just start there. And I just walk through all of this, and and and. And add up all of these things that he was able to endure. So you think about being sold out by one of your good buddies that you've poured your life into for three and a half years. And he just like comes up and just kisses you on the cheek and goes, here he is, he's already like taken some money to show the the head of Judaism and these temple police and these Romans where you hang out. That's something to endure. Then an illegal arrest. That's something to endure. You did nothing wrong, but here are all of these Roman guards, and they're going to arrest you. You're looking at your other 11 buddies that you've poured into. You've mentored them. You've loved on them. You've fed them. You've shown them over and over that you're deity. You've calmed storms. You've raised the dead in front of them. A week earlier, you raised Lazarus from the dead. They saw that. It was undeniable who you are, but as soon as you are arrested, they all, they're out. They're they're deserters now. Consider that. Consider the illegal trials that they'd first lead him, not to the reigning high priest, to like recognized high priest Caiaphas, but to, to like a high priest that used to be the high priest, his nephew, that they knew would sympathize with their position against Jesus. And, and Annas, they'd take him to him. And, and Jesus would just respond to one of their questions. And, and one of those officials next to Annas would just, as hard as he can, smack Jesus across the face. Press through that. See, he has faith too. Sometimes we don't talk about Jesus' faith. But his faith was in the Father. And read through John chapter 17. That's the real Lord's Prayer. And it, it talks about all that the Father had sent him to do, he did. He did. He had faithfully placed his faith in what the Father had sent him to do. But that involves some serious enduring and pressing through in that race. It is race set for him by the Father. And then from Annas to Caiaphas, from Caiaphas to Pilate, from Pilate to Herod, from Herod back to Pilate. They just put all of that together and just set Jesus at a scourging post. Disrobe him. Take a look at the cat of nine tails. What did that look like? And just 40 lashes on a back. And then take that, that just completely hammered body and stand it in front of people, throw a robe around that, crush a crown of thorns upon the skull and just walk through. Calculate this. Think about this. Think about him and the race that was set before him and what, what, what he endured. But think about the confidence and where he placed his confidence as well. It's one thing to look at his pain, look at our game, but also look at his confidence. Remember in the garden, three times he's there. He's like, Father, there's any other way that this cup can pass from me? There's any other way that Lance Cook could be saved? You put your name there there's any other way that that mankind can be saved other than me going to the cross right about now before I go to the cross I'm feeling the weight of the cross go for it Jesus prayed that prayer but he finished three times saying that he finished it with nevertheless not my will but your will be done aren't you grateful for that by the way yeah that's something to press through as he as 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 he prayed there and he wept there, it says that he, he, like, sweat great drops of blood, one of the authors of the gospel says. That's that, if you're a doctor here, you know what that hemoditrosis, that's, it's, it's the, the blood vessels. You're so stressed out that your blood vessels are breaking. And you're bleeding out your pores. We're talking something that is... Very difficult to endure, but he did endure. He did press through. Look unto him. Think of who you're walking away from when you walk away from Christianity. You're not walking away from a movement. You're walking away from a man, and that is who he is. When your faith begins to falter as a Christian, your faith is faltering in him, the person of Christ. Consider him. Take it in. Look unto Jesus and consider. I, in my office, I have one of the, the first sermon I ever taught. My mom gave it to me. I was in the first grade. I wrote it out. It's all spelled. Well, it's, I still spell really bad, but it, it was spelled wrong. It was all David and Goliath story. and it just It captivated me as a little boy. But David is a good example of this the Valley of Elah, when that nine foot, six inch tall Goliath was down there and taunting the whole army, Israel's army on one side of the Valley of Elah. And David just came, a little junior high guy. And he's like, he ends up in front of him. And he says these words, you come to me with a spear and with a sword and with a javelin. But I come to you In the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And then all of these people, the whole assembly, your side, all the Philistines, and all of the Israelites are going to know that the battle is like the Lord does not save with a sword or a spear, but the battle is the Lord's see, David's focus, it was on God. He considered who God was. He considered God's might. He he considered the limitless ability of God and and what God could do in his life. And this allowed David to, to stay the course that God had mapped out for him. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? God made it very clear. Here's the roadmap for you guys. You can just enjoy one another, enjoy fellowship with me, enjoy what I've, I've put in the garden, but stay away from that tree, that one in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge you can heal, stay away from that. You of that, ooh, serious consequences. Death's going like to be part of you then. And you guys know how the enemy slithered in, Satan, as, as a serpent. And he got, he got them both, but it started with Eve, to question God's word. Just question it. Question the authority of God, the plan of God, the word of God. Just question it, just doubt it. And that led to their disobeying God. They sinned and they failed. Their faith faltered. So for you and I, we we, we step into this race and we divest ourselves of any hindrances that would impede us from from running successfully successfully. With Jesus in the path that he has chosen for our lives. And we are to look unto him. We are to consider him deeply as we run. Lest we become discouraged. There are a lot of Christians these days. That are just discouraged. There's a lot of Christians. there's There's a lot of pastors these days. That are really discouraged. Very discouraged. Barna just just. Two days ago, he, he the Barter research does a lot of surveying around the nation and specifically on the state of the church. They did research about a month after coronavirus gripped, you know, the United States of America. They surveyed the church, how things were going, and they asked pastors the likelihood of their survivability, if it's just an online experience and all this stuff. And a lot of the pastors were like, well, we'll see, but there was about... of them who said, we don't think we're going to be able to survive this. That's just what they felt, you know, several months ago. But last week, the new survey came out. 60% of pastors in the Protestant movement in the United States of America today right now are saying they do not believe they're going to survive. Their church will survive this pandemic. 60%. Out of the study. Now, God can do anything. He can change anything. I believe that the Lord allowed this to refine the church. And I don't know how refined that thinking is, by the way. But they're looking at their congregation, and at the top of the list, their most concern was this. We thought we had, before the pandemic, deeper relationships with people than we really do. Out of all of the churches surveyed throughout America, the attendance is what is most shocking And that leads these pastors to say, well, I thought we had different relationships going on than what we do. And they're thinking now one out of five churches in America are not going to make it. Now, that is some serious discouragement. What we're learning is if I'm focusing on Jesus, I really am focusing on him. I'm not going to be discouraged. Does that make sense? So consider him so you're not weary and, and, and discouraged. And then he, he, he kind of takes it to another level. He's like, in verse 4, he's like, you, you, you've not yet resisted the bloodshed and, and striving against sin. Yeah, listen, church, opposition is real. Jesus is, you know, look, they opposed him, they're going to oppose you. They see, if they see you and they see his life in you, The the godless world is not going to like that. And so, yeah, the the Roman opposition is real. The the family opposition is real. All the pressures that you feel right now, Christians living in America, is real. All of the hatred, all of the animus, all of the stuff is real. All the fear is real. But then he says this, but you're still alive. That's what he says. You've not come to a point of losing your life. You've you've not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. It's very difficult. But you've not become a martyr yet, have you? And then in verse 5, and you have forgotten, this is really important, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. Now I raise daughters. And the one thing I learned in raising daughters, they have a lot of words. So when they do let you speak, they need a lot of encouragement. I'm not saying sons don't. But, but, but my daughters needed encouragement, and we all get that. And How many of you guys love to be encouraged? Yes. Raise your hand if you love to be encouraged. All right. Some of you, I don't know what your deal is. You're like, I'm new to a church. I don't raise my hands in church yet. You'll get there. But, 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 you see, there's, there's encouragement, and we understand that, and we welcome that. We, we want that. But then there's also, I needed to, as a parent, I needed to exhort my children. And we don't like that so much. But here, the writer looks at these Christians whose face was faltering. He's like, you've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. And what he's referring to is, you're forgetting those passages. God's word... That is there to exhort you. Both encourage and redirect. You know, in the early part of the book of Hebrews in chapter 2 verse 1. He warned them about drifting away from Jesus by neglecting the word. We must pay more careful attention, he says there. Therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. That's interesting. Then in chapter 3 he warns them about doubting the Word. Then in chapter 10, he warns them about becoming dull towards the Word and eventually despising the Word. And now he brings up, you guys have actually forgot the Word. God's Word is essential for spiritual survival. It is essential for us to be encouraged it is essential for us to be redirected or, or exhorted. We cannot be influenced by encouragement or exhortation that we do not know. The comfort and the strength of God's word is imparted to our life as we open our hearts to God's word. I was, I was reading this a couple of weeks ago, and since then, Psalm 119 has been on my mind. Just Psalm 119, Psalm 119, and I've taught it, and and and... You know, it's a long psalm. It's 176 verses. All through, as long as I can remember, growing up in a Christian home, my mom would make me read one chapter of the Bible a day. And I just want you to know, I never chose Psalm 116 or 119. Never did. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to read 176 verses today, mom, and then go play. No, it was like, that's the one I'm not going to go to. But, as I've been a little... More open to God, and I've let Him have more of my heart, and I've given more time, desire, determination, and discipline towards His Word. This dyslexic—I dyslex, can't even say it—this dyslexic mind has been won over by His Word. This this kid who couldn't stand up in front of a classroom and repeat what you just said after you know one sentence has had the Spirit of God transform. Is mine. And so when I read a psalm like Psalm 119, I'm like, oh, yes. Out of those 176 verses, only five do not have a direct reference to the word of God, a judgment, a statute, uh, the word, a command. Only five do not. It's all about the word of God. And the psalmist is overwhelmed. He's in love with the word of God. As, As you read through it, it says that he's delighted in it that he loved it that he obeyed it that he meditated on it and and he rejoiced in it. You know as we we were studying Psalm 1 on Wednesday night God took us there and and in that Psalm it talks about you know the righteous people that that were planted by like like a river and we delight in the law of God and I talked about this this, how important it is that, you know, maybe before we were saved or as we were, you know, first walking with the Lord, there were certain portions of the scripture that convicted us. We didn't delight in those scriptures. They convicted, we're like, ah, I don't want to hear that right now. And, and you know people right now that are living a life contrary to the will of God as non-believers. And if you reference a port of, portion of God's word that refers to their sin, they don't like that. But how many of you were just like that, but then you came around through spiritual regeneration and those same scriptures you used to dislike, you love now, right? Just want to make sure, you know, it is 11 o'clock, you know, I know. How many of you have ever come around on a food? I used to hate spinach, but I just started loving spinach. You've come around on a food. You've learned to... Delight yourself in that food. It's, it's like, I, I want that portion. We've been getting all these analytics as we're trying to understand what to do with our church that, you know, a good 70% of our church has not come back. 500 of our kids have not come back in children's ministry. But we have all these new people and we have this massive online technical thing growing. We're just trying to understand, okay, what do we do? And I says, drill in on the, on the analytics. I want to know... The, the, this isn't for you. You're here. I can't, an, maybe we will do some analytics today. Can you guys stick around for about six hours and do a survey? <laughs> but that's the cool thing with you online audience, you people that are, that are listening right now, we can analyze that. And they came to me and they said, listen, we can, we, can, we can tell you where they're listening. We can tell you how many are listening each service. And this is the one that really intrigued me, how long they listen. And I said, I don't want to hear that. What do you mean they, they, they tune us off right when worship ends? <laughs> no. but, but it is amazing how many people, Christians, I would assume, and non-believers will not, will not stay with us the next 20 minutes. It would, it would blow your mind. Now, if you were really hungry, just, I mean really hungry, and you could order like something that really pleased you, Whatever that is. I'm not going to start talking too much about food because then I'll really lose you. But if I put a plate of that in front of you, you would not stop halfway through unless something else became more appealing. He delighted in the word. He got there. He loved it. He obeyed it. It... it, Several times he says that he wanted God's word to revive him and renew him. In verse 37, turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. He talks about how God's word preserves him. Verse 92, unless your law had been my delight, I, I would have then have perished in my affliction. We have Christians today that are gripped by fear and, and, and the lawlessness, just what's, what's happening. And their, their life has been afflicted by what is happening in their world, but they're, they're feeling like I can't come out of my house. They're feeling like I can't move on. And, and irregardless of what God's path is for their life, they're gripped, they're held back. The psalmist experienced that. He was like, but unless your law had been my delight, <laughs> I would have been done. By looking at his description of the word of God, he saw the word as perfect, as blameless, as pure, as righteous, as gold, which is a fine commodity, as honey, a fine commodity. He considered God's word as his sustenance, as his food in verse 103. He considered it as his greatest wealth. Listen to these words. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his commandments, who seek him With their whole heart, not half a heart, with their whole heart. They also do no iniquity, don't fall into sin. They walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed when I look into your commandments. I will praise you with the uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me. How can a young man cleanse this way? By taking heed according to your word. Not just knowing it, but by heeding it. With my whole heart, I've sought you. So let me not wander through your word. Wander away from your word or your commandments. Again, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I've declared all the judgments of your mouth. I've rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. And here he says in verse 16, I will not forget your word. That's the first 16 verses. It just gets better from there. This guy who just gave time to God in his word. What part of God's word must, must we be made more, more careful, pay more careful attention to today? As the writer says in chapter 2, verse 1. To what we've heard so that we don't drift away. What, what exhortation have we forgotten? The exhortation which speaks to you and I as sons. Not the exhortation from me as your pastor to those hanging out in church. Not the exhortation of a parent to a child. Not the exhortation of any man to another man. What exhortation from God in his word... Have we forgotten? Like the one that he speaks to you directly as his kid. What exhortation would the church overall, or or exhortations plural, would the church overall have to have forgotten for one out of five churches to not survive a pandemic? What exhortation would you, or exhortations plural, have you maybe forgotten? And it's led to you just being gripped by fear and not driven by faith. One that the Lord put on my heart was 2 Timothy 1, 7, where God has, where God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind and if you really break that scripture down it's speaking of the spirit of god that we become partakers of when we are born again and what that is who he is within us it's not a, it's not a spirit of fear it is not one of cowardice. It doesn't shriek back from him, his word, or what he's called us to be as his kids. No, the spirit of God within us. You know, years, last year, year before, we were going through First or 2 Thessalonians, and it just it was kind of the, the theme where we're following a God who does not retreat. When you have one out of five churches not surviving a global pandemic. That's fear. That's retreat. But he's not given us a spirit that is fear. No, it's, it's one that is power, power, power to the weak. Power to accomplish his purpose, to stay the course, to finish the race. And it's a spirit of Of love, The fruit of the Spirit is love in Galatians 5. In Romans 5, the love of God in verse 5 has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. We got a few calls during the the early days of the pandemic. For some people, they had loved ones that were sick and they were in hospitals that were dealing with COVID and they weren't allowed to go in and they really weren't, maybe wanted to go and they asked would we go and we absolutely we'll go in where are they at and we made every effort possible to go see these people you say well that's foolish you know that's love that's love it's just love it's a love of God's been poured out my heart I can't turn that off now fear would be like oh dude you don't want to get the virus you just don't I get the, like, I don't want the virus thing. I woke up today, and there's a lot of things. I don't want cancer either. There's a lot of things I don't want, but the love of God is going to drive me and quite possibly put me in harm's way, and I'm just okay with that because his love is bigger than that. And by the way, just, just so we're all clear, you can recite this at my eulogy wherever one day, that Lance was okay going to heaven. Yeah, he just was. He said, hey... Like like the guy, he lived a little bit of a reckless life for the Lord and everything, but that's okay. But he was like, okay, because of heaven. Yes. He really wanted to go like hug Jesus and hug his dad again. He was okay with it. So if you come up to me like, I got COVID, I go, don't give me a hug. I just don't want your COVID. But if you say, dude, there's someone over here who needs you to touch him and love him. If Jesus would touch a leper, I will touch a COVID. I don't want COVID. Some of you aren't going to clap. you like, "That's foolish, That's way, reckless faith. Stay there. How many people right now in Somalia are going to have the gospel brought to them because someone was not afraid of death? How many people in Iraq? Iran? Afghanistan. I asked some of my pastoral friends. That, that, that do these little missions, they can't even talk about it. They just can't talk about it. But they're like, when they kiss their wife the, before they leave, this, this might be the last time kind of thing. And I look at them, and that builds my faith to hear that. I don't go, oh, what's wrong with you, man? No, if that's God's calling on your life, go for it. The question is, what's God's calling on your life? I know what our governor's calling is on your life. I know what, you know, what, what our politician's calling is on your life. But what is God's calling on your life? What should this church do when the government says stay home and a mother of a one-year-old says my baby just died and I want a funeral? What should the church be then? I got a word. Open. Her whole non-believing family came. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and out of Christians who would not have walked in that room because of a virus. Something's wrong. Something And this I don't have time to finish this study, so it's, but, <laughs> I better get back on the word here. So, <laughs> but he's given us this love. Love. Do you know this church never closed? Anyone who ever came here during the stay-at-home order could walk into this place. Did we advertise it now? But anybody who came here could just walk in this place. We never said no to a funeral. Everyone who wanted to get wedding, wedding, married, well, I'm like, let's just do the wedding. You want to be baptized? You want to be dedicated? What, what do you want to do? We're never going to stop being the church until Jesus Christ takes the church off this planet. That's the race. What, what, what do we need to persevere through right now? Will you be honest enough and real enough to just go, yeah, I think you might be honest up here, bro. A world that is gripped by fear needs to see Christians who are not. A world that is gripped by fear needs to see Christ, who is power, who is love, and who is sound mind on display. And we're losing our minds. Sound mind, self-discipline, level-headedness. Watch how fast I finish these next verses. <laughs> and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. And he, he reaches into a passage of scripture where God is exhorting us as His kids. Proverbs 3, 11, and 12. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he received. When this pandemic hit, we were like, this is a storm that God allowed and, and I'm a parent, and it, there's, there's never been a stage in any of my girls' life where they haven't needed to be realigned and tuned up a bit. Do you know that there's no perfect people in this room? None, except one, the Holy Spirit, okay? If you think you're perfect, raise your hand. you prove that you're a liar, then you're not perfect. But whom the Lord loves. Well, my girls, you know, when when, when we would, they were young, they are just toddling around and whatnot, and they got next to stairs. I loved them enough to not let them just figure out the stairs on their own. I'm like, no, you're not going to go down the stairs until I think it's right, and I'm going to tune you up if you try. Why would I tune them up? So the next time they get to the stairs, they're like, I don't want Daddy's tune-up. All of my girls, when I got them bikes, the first place they wanted to go was like out in the street. I don't know why. It's just that human nature. I think I could just, yeah, I'm fine. No, no, no. You are not going to go out on the street. I remember spanking one of my girls on a, on a Christmas morning on a bicycle. Hey, man, this is so great. Tears of joy, there's the bicycle. Tears of pain, Dad just spanked me. Do not go in that street. Ah, come here. Whack. To this day, they won't ride a bike in the street. Jack them all up. Want to go bar- road biking? no. But I did it because I love him. Maybe the Lord's allowing a lot of things to happen in your life right now. And you're like, I'm mad at God. You're questioning his goodness. But all he's trying to do is realign you. And you've forgotten, just like they did, that he is a God who realigns his kids. Some of you are just okay with conduct that just doesn't line up with Christ. You're just okay with it. Yeah, oh, this is the way it is in my industry, so this is how I'm going to act. Some of you are okay with a marriage that doesn't honor God. Some, some of you are okay with practicing sin, immoral things. It just doesn't line up with God. But you're okay with it. God loves you enough to, like, realign you. It's like, no, 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 that, that, that's, like, going to trip you up in the race and derail you from the race... And, and, and I don't want that to happen so I'm going to like realign you and sometimes he brings in discipline to do that and you know as well as I do as a parent you don't enjoy it I never enjoyed disciplining my kids it wasn't like they're, they're all out of control, and I'm like, it's my turn, Lori. Please, please, let me. You know? No, no, these girls were so, like, sensitive. And, you know, you go in, okay, what would you do wrong? I did this. What would have been a better choice? Yes, okay, well, you know that the Bible said yes. Okay, now lean over. Woo! And you, oh, man. Oof. And I, whatever stage it was, we started with a little stirring spoon. I ended up with, like, a belt. I, had, I don't know, something. Smash ball paddle, that's what it was. I just have to show them that paddle after a while. No, you know, with the paddle. But there were times that I remember it. It hurt me. But I did it because I love them. See God that way. There's times that God will, he'll just allow things to happen in your life to redirect you. Jonah. Any Jonahs here? I'm a Jonah. I am a Jonah. Some of you don't know the story of Jonah. Okay? We're all Jonahs. Different kind of fish. Different kind of circumstance. But God, you're like, this is God's will for my life. God's way in my life, for my life. And I'm going that way. That's Jonah. And God has brought something into your life. You know it. And he's, he's redirected you and barfed you up somewhere else. And you're like... I stink now, but you got it. Nebuchadnezzar is the same way. If you endure chastening, verse 7, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? The Greek word for chasten here is pephideia, and it means to teach, to instruct, to train. Running through the streets of Jerusalem, I heard this family. There's a bunch of little kids, little, little Hebrew boys with their, Jewish boys with their long little sideburns, their yarmulkes, and they're all around, Abba, 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 Abba. And I'm like, oh, so cute. And, 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 and I saw different families, and one of the little guys, he was getting a little too far away from the family. And I was kind of wondering, where's his dad, man? This dude is like, you're going to have to keep an eye on this one. <laughs> yeah. And then a few minutes later, I, I kind of turned away, and I heard the kid like going, ah, but no daddy, no daddy, no daddy. And dad had him by the arm and was giving him a what for on the back end. Lots of men standing around all of those kids. It was no question which one was his dad. You want to know who's a legitimate son or daughter of God? Those that are being redirected by God. God deals with us as as with sons. I have a lot of downloaded teaching on that. You can go and listen to it from our first study. I got through a lot more in first study, but you guys are a lot slower. But if you are without chastening of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we've had human fathers who have corrected us and we've paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them but he for our profit. And the idea behind that is like, you know, even as earthly parents being well and do their best, there's times that we've, we've disciplined our kids with the wrong heart, the wrong time, you know, we weren't as punctual, or maybe you've disciplined a child and they didn't deserve it. I remember my girls one time all fighting over some toy and and, and I thought it was the one that was causing all the problem. And I took the toy and I broke it in front of them. And I'd teach you to not share with your sisters. And then the other one said, that wasn't your toy, you know. And i well, go, that'll teach all of you then, you know. <laughs> but that, and that cost Dad too, because i got to go out and buy that thing again. But God never gets it wrong. His timing is never off. My, my, my. Parental disciplining has been off from time to time. His timing is never off. He never gets it wrong. Oh, sorry, Lance, that was for someone else. No, he, he never gets it wrong. It's for our profit. What is the profit? That we may be partakers of his holiness. You know, what a lot of people are really concerned with this. Christians today. Health. That's what they're concerned with. My health. My health. They're fixated on it. They wake up, health. Gotta stay healthy. I've, I've talked to some of my, my friends that I know around town. They they still haven't went back to work. They're still not leaving the health, health, health. That's really important. For other people, it's happiness. Gotta be happy. God, the one that enlisted you in the race, that's your trainer. Running alongside you in the race is like, I ain't worried so much about your health, your happiness, holiness. I want to make you more like me. The trainer wants his athlete to be more like him. And everything he's doing in altering you is in preparation for the next step, the next part of the race. See, I don't see my tomorrow, but God does. I don't see my next week, but God does. I don't see the next opportunity that he has for me, but God does. And, and, and right now, whatever in my life is not lining up with his son, he's like, uh, the trainer's like, we got to get you ready. Come on. we got to get you ready for your tomorrow, the tomorrow I have planned for you. And a lot of that just is the redirects of God, the discipline of God. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present. Amen? Amen. Nevertheless, amen? Amen. Afterwards, it, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those, listen, who have been trained by it. We're going to pick up next week, if the Lord doesn't come and take us out of this planet with another therefore check out where we're going strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight the paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed we're about to go into an election like fifth gear fast lane mode pursue peace with all people and holiness. How sobering is that? Without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Father, thank you again for your word thank you for the the sobering truths that we've been able to mine here in Hebrews chapter 12 thank you for loving us so much that when 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 you see us beginning to get off the path that you have chosen for us you'll do whatever needs to be done to redirect us. Father, you know where each of us are in our journey of faith. You know how opened our hearts have been over these last few moments here, outside or online. The results we trust to you. We pray lastly for those here that have never come to you in your terms and accepted you as their personal Lord and Savior. And we ask Jesus that right now they would open up their heart to you and allow you to save them. And if that's you, that speaks of you, you're you're, you're not a Christian, you know it, you know if your life were to end right now, you you, you don't know, you don't have that confidence that you would go to heaven. And you're like, but I I don't want to go to hell. Maybe this world has, has you shackled down. There's a, there's a vice. It's got a hold of you. And you're like, man, that, that habit, that relationship, that sin, I just want to be set free. Well, Jesus wants to set you free right now. And he won't force that freedom on you. He won't force a gift on you, the gift of salvation on you. You, you need to come to him and, and you need to ask him, Humble yourself before him and ask him. And as we look at the gospel, the good news, the Bible says that we're all born sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. You've got to agree with that. That's what confession is all about. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible goes on to say, There's a wage to sin. The wages of sin is death, separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if you want that, I'm going to lead a very simple prayer, but this is just what I believe, what the Bible says we need to say to God. If you want salvation this morning, and you feel that God has convicted you, that it's time to receive Jesus. Would you tell him that? Just say it out loud, wherever you're at. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I realized this morning that my sin separates me from you. So I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I believe that you are your God. You took on flesh. You died on the cross for me. You rose from the dead for me. And so I ask you to come into my life, Jesus. The one who is alive. Ask him to fill you with his spirit. Ask him to give you a love for him, for his word, for the body of Christ, for his plan for your life. And and Lord, any who have prayed that, that prayer and have genuinely invited you into their life, would you give us an opportunity to disciple them and to come alongside them and may they reach out to us and may we have an opportunity to help them walk with you thank you for being so faithful continue to do your work in this your church until we meet again we always like to say here there or in the air may you have your hand may you bless may you keep us healthy may you keep us holy